Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that has no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. I'm Lindsay. You're Lindsay. And I was just, I just, I'm lucky to be live right now. Dan was attacked by a, what he would call a very, very vicious spider. It, it was it was a great. It went after me twice. I, I know. it was on my leg right before I sat down. I knocked it off. Mm-hmm. Then we couldn't find it. And then the next thing you know, it's higher up on my leg. Uh huh. Actually, How- no, it was higher up the first time. And it was moving. It just wanted to come back on my leg, so I had to kill it. How big would you say this spider was? Mm, probably like um, the size of like a dinner plate of a small dinner plate. <laughs> But really, <laughs> what do you think? Like, like the size no, at the top tiny. of my pen? Yeah, it was a little guy. Like, a, just a little baby guy. Sometimes those are the most uh, unpredictable. Were you just screaming? Like, I'm no, so scared? No, I maybe let out a startled cry. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it, a slight scream. It could have only been better if the cameras were rolling because it was so funny. Dan was losing his mind. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I, I I don't mind spiders when I see them from a distance. I just, uh, you know, I don't like a mommy. Well, no one likes it. Maybe some weirdos do. Hey, don't kink shame anybody. Why did you take it to a sexual place? Why would someone want to? <laughs> I I will kink shame that. <laughs> if, that's, if that's your sexual fetish is that you want to be covered in spiders, you are a weirdo. It's okay. But you know, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. You can, just means you're very, very weird. Hey, hey, baby, do you mind if I grab Bruce the tarantula? Oh, my God. It's the only way I'm going to come. Oh, oh. oh. All right. Uh, I'm out on that kink. Okay. Here we go. Back to our very family-friendly show. <laughs> is it family-friendly? Um, <laughs> is it family-friendly? Brand new tea in no. the Bad Magic store uh, this week. couple announcements, and then we're into the okay. show. Uh, Lindsay, can you guess what Terribus ad mortem Means in Latin. Okay, terribus ad mortem. Mm-hmm. Well, post-mortem is, de- so, I don't know, like, ad mortem, like, pre-death, at death. 
And then what's the first word? Terabus. Terabus. Well, tera, like 10 or like a terabyte or like, hmm, it, I, I don't know. It means that spider tried to kill me. No, it means uh, scared to death. Oh. Yep. And uh, I knew that. Mm-hmm, and you can grab your terabus. Terab- I didn't want to like, sh- you know, show off. <laughs> you, can, you can grab your terabus ad mortem tea in three different colors if and only if you are an Annabelle. Uh, only for Annabelle's, you can go to the Annabelle section of the badmagicmerch.com store to pick that up. Woohoo! Don't forget to use your special merch code for your special discount for mm-hmm. being an Annabelle. And do you want to uh, remind people about the charity or no this week? Well, I just think, like, who cares? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Okay, guys. As a reminder, this month's charity is the Rainbow Railroad. We will be donating, thanks to our generous patrons, $14,795 to the Rainbow Railroad. It is a nonprofit uh, aimed at assisting LGBTQI plus people facing persecution uh, because of their sexual identity or preferences. Uh, the Rainbow Railroad, Rainbow Railroad, the hard mm-hmm. one. <laughs> uh, yeah, they help people get to a safe place, whether that is within their country or in another country, or get them other various resources they might need in order to deal with the persecution that they're facing, which is. You know, I I just can't even imagine Mm -hmm. what it would be like to not just get to be myself. Uh, If you are interested in volunteering, supporting, or if you yourself need help or someone you know and love needs help, you can visit RainbowRailroad.org. And then just as a small reminder, we are also adding $1,643 to the future Cummins Family Scholarship Fund. And again, there will be more information on that early next year. Sweet. Sweet. And now we move on to horror. Uh, what? How much horror do you have for me today? Oh. And for for everybody, it's just for you. Okay, it's just me and you, <laughs> and I'm just gonna only tell my stories to you. Okay, okay. My first story is so good. We're gonna go to Saint Anne's Retreat. It is so bleh, creepy, weird. I don't want to give too much Where away. Where is this place? Utah. Huh? huh. Don't know about it. Um, and then. In the second story, a couple weeks ago, you had a death curse, mm-hmm. possible death curse from a witch. Yeah. I have a possible black. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Black magic curse. Okay. Very interesting. Very creepy. And comes all the way from Nigeria. Oh, that's right. You I told me that. Uh, I don't know if it's on the show or outside the show, but yes. Um, I have my normal two. We're going to head out of the country for both of them. First, we're going to go to London to familiarize ourselves with the story of the Battersea Poltergeist. Uh, the case of one family's reports of ongoing paranormal activity got a lot of press back in the late 1950s. Uh, recently garnered interest again, and so we had a lot of source material to pull from. And next, we'll head to Brazil, to Sao Paulo, hmm. uh, to Dream Beach. Huh. A mix of horror lore and a modern encounter tale. I found very creepy and entertaining. When I was in Sao Paulo, we weren't allowed to leave our hotel. They said it was too dangerous. Well, hopefully it's gotten better. I hope so. Uh, are you ready to begin? Um, do, you any, do you have the same socks or different socks? I know we're wearing the same outfits. Same outfits. We're recording two episodes. Uh, two we, in one day, mm-hmm. but I did do a sock change. Nice. Look at these little chicks. Chicky, chicky, bock. Another chicken set of socks. Well, they came together as a uh, set. So it was the roosters and the chickens. I get and it. so I just thought like, well, Chicken Joe and Rooster Rob. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know? All right. Now that your socks are in order. 63 Wycliffe Road in Battersea, a large district in Southern London, was an average terrace... Uh, yeah, was an average terrace brick house nestled between many others just like it, inconspicuous and worn looking. Living in this house in the mid-20th century was an average working class family. The events that occurred inside the house when they lived there, far from average. The paranormal events they claimed to experience would briefly captivate all of England, even being brought up in the House of Commons. 
Time now for the tale of the Battersea Poltergeist. The story begins in 1956 with the Hitchens family. Wally, a 40-year-old train driver, his wife Kitty, an office clerk, Wally's mother Ethel, Ethel's 26-year-old adopted son John, and Wally and Kitty's 15-year-old daughter Shirley, a seamstress in the Selfridges department store, all lived in this house together. Shirley, the youngest resident, would be at the center of most of the paranormal activity. It seems with poltergeist activity, as we've learned here, teenagers nearly always intriguingly receive the most paranormal attention. One evening in late January 1956, young Shirley returned home from work, went straight upstairs to her bedroom. Upon entering, she saw an unfamiliar silver key on her bed. It was an ornate key, obviously very well made. It seemed terribly out of place. It didn't look like it would fit any normal door. Curious as to where it had come from, Shirley took the key downstairs to ask her family if it belonged to any of them. No one recognized it. Shirley's father, Wally, now walked around the house, trying the key in all the doors. None of them, as he expected, were the right fit. So Wally dropped the key on the kitchen table, and a bit later, the whole family went out for the evening. When they returned home, tired and ready for bed, the strange silver key had returned to Shirley's bedroom. There it sat, again on her bed, in the same exact position as as it had been before. Though the return of the strange key nagged at Shirley in the back of her mind, she was able to dismiss it as some sort of prank, assuming it must belong to her Uncle John, and she was able to fall asleep. But then the next night, after Shirley got home from work, she and her family were sitting together in the living room, enjoying a quiet evening together, when a deafening bang suddenly echoed through the house. This was harder to dismiss. The whole family froze, heads turning to try to figure out where the noise had come from. Before anyone could stand up to search, another bang sounded. Instead of coming from the same location as the previous bang, or even coming from just one location, this time the noise surrounded them, seeming to shake the whole house. More loud, shaking bangs followed. Everyone was now terrified. Shirley cuddled up against her mother while Wally and John searched the house in a futile attempt to find the source of the noise. After about 30 minutes of constant banging, the neighbors in both the houses, to the left and right of 63 Wycliffe, came outside disturbed by the racket. Ten people soon stood inside the Hitchens family home as the barrage of noise continued well into the night. When the noises eventually subsided, the unsettled neighbors returned home and the Hitchens family tried to get some sleep. But the house wouldn't allow that. Soon became apparent that those initial bangs were only the beginning of the family's torment. Shirley later said, It was as if the noises came from the bowels of the earth. It went on until daylight. We were traumatized. I remember clinging to my dad saying, Please, make it stop. The whole house shook like it was in an air raid. It went on night after night for three weeks. We were shattered. Strange noises like these bangs became a daily occurrence, and soon the banging was accompanied by the always terrible and common poltergeist sounds of scratching and knocking. On and off, day and night, but mostly at night, these additional noises seemed to originate from the walls and furniture, particularly Shirley's headboard. Not knowing what else to do, the family contacted the police who were unable to identify the source of the disturbance. Now the Hitchens were really at a loss. The family was sleep-deprived, and they felt scared, confused, and defeated. They just hoped and prayed that it would all stop soon. They soon started sleeping, altogether uncushioned in the living room, so no one would have to face anything alone. They began to uh, sleep in shifts to listen for the noises. After a few weeks of this, the paranormal activity, as it often seems to do in these cases, escalated. Objects now began moving on their own. The family was shocked to see pairs of slippers, as if worn by someone no one could see, mimic the motion of walking across the floor. They witnessed bedsheets fly by themselves up into the air. 
Chairs reportedly moved about on their own. Kitty alleged that she was once in the living room when a pan flew through the open kitchen door, landed right in front of her, as if someone had thrown it in and tried to hurt her. By the time she gathered up the courage to search the kitchen, of course, no one was there. Pots, pans, plates, and ornaments were witnessed by everyone in the Hitchens' home flying around the house. One day, Shirley narrowly missed getting hit in the head by a flying alarm clock. She would tell the Daily Mail years later, They'd float towards you, then speed up, so you'd have to duck. Or they'd hover and hit the wall. Rooms are trashed. The house must have looked like a bloody war zone. It's truly a wild case. Wild there, her word, for the record, not mine. The family were now truly terrified and desperate for sleep and help. In their desperation, they decided to let members of the press into their home. They hoped that perhaps an article about what they were experiencing might reach someone who knew how to make the recent troubles go away. Over the following several months, every major tabloid in England featured stories about the Hitchens family. The family had assigned all the unexplained noises and impossibly moving objects to a spirit they ended up naming Donald, after Donald Duck, as it always seemed to be grumpy. At this point, they were more confused than scared. Donald appeared more mischievous than menacing. He occasionally would knock on the walls, mimicking the melody of the theme songs of certain TV shows he apparently enjoyed. Nevertheless, the Hitchens still wanted him gone, and by March, the family was exhausted. Wally, sleep-deprived, had to take some time off work to try and rest. But how much rest could he get in a home with that much activity? Their home's disturbances seemed to follow Shirley to the department store, where she worked now. When a pair of scissors went missing from the store, she was accused of taking them. She told management it must have been the fault of the spirit haunting her home. Oh, my God. And she was immediately fired. Shortly after her firing, the story of the Battersea Poltergeist made its way to a man named Harold Chibbett, who offered his help. Chibbett worked as a tax inspector by day and as a paranormal investigator by night. He was actually a respected ghost hunter in paranormal circles at that time. And Harold would stay with the family for quite some time and document the activity they experienced. And until the day he died in 1978, Harold would insist that the Battersea poltergeist had been very, very real. As if Donald could sense Chibbett's arrival, he almost immediately began showing off for the investigator. Writings began to appear on the walls out of thin air. The gibberish letters were illegible to start with, but they soon showed an attempt by Donald, or whatever Donald really was, was to communicate with the family. The first legible note arrived March 22, 1956. Donald scribbled on a piece of paper, Shirley, I come. Shirley added her own note at the bottom of the page, 1.15 a.m., March 22nd, writing by Donald himself. Communicating directly with Donald seemed to unleash a dark energy inside the house. A few nights later, Shirley woke up screaming as her bed sheets were ripped off of her. The family ran up to her room and tried to pull on the now floating sheets, only to begin a tug-of-war with whatever spirit was holding them. John, who had, been, who had begun to have doubts that the haunting was real and thought that somehow Shirley was orchestrating the events, took hold of both of Shirley's hands to see if the activity continued when she was unable to move them. His doubts were soon completely eliminated. While he was holding her hands, Shirley suddenly went rigid, then, incredibly, in front of everyone present, began to levitate up oh. off the bed. Everyone in the room watched in amazement and fear as Shirley rose about six inches off her mattress. John tried with all his strength now to pull her down, but couldn't. Shirley later said, I remember the sheets coming off and being tossed about in the bed. I was floating above the bed. When John pulled me down, I was rigid. My nan, who was Catholic, thought I might be possessed by the devil. I thought I was going mad. I was crying the whole time, very traumatized. Chibbett, there to witness this, told the family they were dealing with a poltergeist. Shirley was now convinced they were all going to die. And Donald seemed to feed on Shirley's escalating fear. He started to make demands of her. He began to write disturbing notes telling her, for example, that he wanted her to wear her hair a certain way and threatening to set the house on fire if she didn't do what he asked. 
Worried about Donald's threats, Wally locked away all the matches and knives in the home. That didn't help. Fires began to break out spontaneously inside the house. Donald didn't seem to require any regular earthly means for how to start them. One night, Wally was badly burned when he tried to put out one of these fires. And when the nurses at the hospital examined him, they found claw marks at the burn site. Shirley spoke about this incident to the papers. Daddy heard me scream after I'd smelled burning from the top landing. He rushed from the kitchen and beat out the flames, which were burning an eider down in the bed cover. From the, from the landing, I saw a green flash and then flames come out of the bedroom. Last night, the poltergeist started tapping out messages and we did not get to bed at all. John added, the messages warned us that the house might be set on fire. Wally was now terrified, very worried about he and his family's safety. He confided in a co-worker named Harry Hanks, who, found, who we found out also happened to be a spiritual medium. Eager to put an end to the chaos in his house, Wally agreed to let Harry perform an exorcism. Harry quickly came to believe that the spirit giving them trouble had attached itself directly to Shirley, and that it was her he must perform the ritual on to cleanse the house. Harry arranged for Shirley to come to his house for the exorcism. This would give them privacy from the press and other visitors that seemed to always be present at the Hitchings' house. Shirley arrived at Harry's house, accompanied by a paranormal investigator, Harold Chibbett. Harry was waiting for them with the female assistant. The room was softly illuminated by candlelight. Crucifixes hung upon the walls. Everyone in attendance sat in a circle and joined hands. They began by singing Onwards, Christian Soldier, and The Lord is My Shepherd, followed by a prayer. The room fell silent as Harry put himself into a trance. Pained expressions marred his face, contorting in ways that seemed physically impossible. His hands began to wave around frantically, and then loud knocks echoed throughout the room. It wasn't the spirit. Someone was knocking at the door. Police, open up! An officer called. The police officers explained that they had received reports of a black magic ceremony taking place at the residence. Harry assured them it was not black magic, but an exorcism, and the officers left the house. The group picked off where they left off, or picked up where they left off. Harry fell back into a trance, asking his spirit guide to order the malevolent spirit to leave. A few minutes later, Harry exclaimed that Shirley was free, and that the spirit had left her body. Unfortunately, he was wrong. Strange writings now began to appear around the Hitchens' home multiple times each day. The suffering family and the failed exorcism attracted so much press attention that Parliament member Marcus Lipton brought the events up at the House of Commons. He demanded, and I've never heard of anything like this before, an apology to the family from the police for interrupting and potentially sabotaging the exorcism. <laughs> and then Lipton was told that because the exorcism had not been performed by a sanctioned state-recognized church member, it did fall under the category of black magic, which was at that time illegal in the United Kingdom. So no apology. Now resigned to the fact that they would have to learn to live with David or Donald, the Hitchings family worked on a way to communicate with him utilizing a system where they would ask questions and he would respond with knocks on the walls. One knock for no, two knocks for yes. They hoped they could work out some kind of peaceful cohabitation. As soon as the press got wind of this, a reporter from the BBC came to interview the family and the spirit. The reporter sat down with the family and began to ask questions. He started with, are you here? To which he swiftly got a response of two knocks. Yes. Are you evil? He asked. One knock for no. Do you mean surely any harm? One knock again. Will you go away? Also one knock. Donald wasn't evil, meant surely no harm, but wasn't going away anytime soon. Could be worse. Could have said he was evil, but could the spirit be trusted? Would it just harm Shirley anyway? Donald insisted on talking to the family via tapping this entire night. Maybe not evil, but also seemed to be 
pretty obnoxious. If they refused to speak to him, he would throw things like milk bottles, framed pictures. He also now became some sort of, or he, yeah, he also now became some sort of unwanted paranormal pen pal. A few months after this strange conversation with the undead, writings Donald had been leaving on the walls of the home evolved into letters written in bad English, left lying around the house for members of the family to read. Many of them were addressed specifically to Shirley. It seemed that Donald was there to stay, considering himself a member of the family. He even wrote letters requesting gifts for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell was going on? Decades later, when Shirley was interviewed, uh, she would still have these letters, 4,000 total written over the course of about three years. Yeah, 4,000. The spirit they'd come to know as Donald would claim in some of these correspondences to be Louis Seventeenth or Louis Charles, son of King Louis Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette, king and queen of France just prior to the French Revolution. Claimed he'd tried to escape to France via the English Channel, but his ship had capsized and he died. However, the real Louis XVII died in France of disease, so what was all this about? Donald seemed to like the Hitchens family with the exception of one member. He had a particular distaste for Wally's mother, Ethel, who constantly referred to him as evil or the devil. One night in October of 1956, a disembodied female voice rang throughout the house, speaking in an Irish accent, claiming to be the ghost of Ethel's mother, Sarah. Ethel was terrified, confined herself to her room, and shortly thereafter suffered a stroke and died. Did Donald kill her? 1965, Shirley moved out of the family home to start her adult life. She left London altogether in 1967. Shirley said decades later of the Battersea Poltergeist, it ruined my life. It took my teenage years. I was 21 before I could get anything near normality. And even then, he interfered in my life. Donald would finally leave Shirley alone for good in 1968. She received her last message that year when she was living with her husband and baby in a new city in a new home. Donald wrote a message on the notepad by the phone informing her he was leaving. And then she never heard from him again. Wally and Shirley were happy that Donald was gone, while Shirley's mother, Kitty, especially, uh, actually grieved the loss. She'd begun to consider him a member of the family. Shirley's parents passed away shortly after that. The house was demolished in the late 60s at the very end of the decade, a new home built in its place, officially bringing an end to the story of the Battersea poltergeist. Trying to make sense of this weird tale, investigators have proposed numerous theories about what could have caused the supposed activity. Some proposed propose that because the house was located on marshland, acidic soil could have caused some sort of temporary madness within the family. Others believe that, quite simply, Shirley made everything up. They speculate that she was bored with her life and wanted attention. At one point, Donald left as many as 60 messages a day, and there's no real precedent for a supposed disembodied spirit being this prolific. Also, handwriting experts believe that Shirley was the one who left the strange notes on the walls or papers. The attention she got from the case made her famous, and she wouldn't be the first teenager to desperately crave fame. But why then not continue to claim being haunted for more years to come? And how did so many others witness events that Shirley simply could not have caused? Not even a skilled con artist can pull off actual levitation. And why hasn't she ever retracted her story? In October of 2021, when Shirley was 80 years old, when any fame for this story had dissipated decades before, when she could finally get a long-held lie off her chest if that was the case, she told the Daily Mail from her South England home, it's all true. It's a lot for people to swallow, but it did happen. The story of the Battersea Poltergeist remains a mystery to this day. The Hitchens family lived a normal life before and after the supposed haunting. They were a religious family who didn't involve themselves in the occult before, during, or after anyone's knowledge. Does this story make any real sense? No. But do paranormal stories ever really make any sense? For 
thousand letters. <laughs> so many letters. It is so many letters. We've been together yeah. ten years, and I haven't given you four thousand cards. No, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. That's of a writing. lot of work. That's mm-hmm. a lot of dedication. True. Oof. No thanks. No thanks. Quite, My hand hurts just thinking of it. <laughs> quite the writer. Yeah. In what up to I think uh, up to sixty a day. Yeah. Said at one point, like it's such a crazy amount. It's, a, it's like, what, did these letters have just one word on them? <laughs> right. Right. Was it just like, yeah, 60 I day. love you. That's it's not even sexy. Like it's <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Right. It's scary. Like uh yeah, just like somebody who's obsessed, like a stalker. <gasps> A paranormal stalker. Reminds me of the story we just told uh, about the guy writing from the UK. Remember that? He oh, was yeah. writing back to the one lady in uh, in uh, Lindsay's listener story. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yep. yeah, yeah. Military guy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's so creepy. Like, hi, do you want yeah. to move to Europe with me so you can feed creepy? So you can be sacrificed <gasps> to some fucking cult? Yeah. Yeah, so we can <laughs> feed stuffed animals together? Oh, yeah, the stuffed animals. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was such a weird feeding all this, pretending to feed all those stuffed animals. Yeah, that was so weird. Yeah. So weird. Do you have pictures for your story? Uh, The first one is the Hitchens family in 1957. Okay. There's Shirley in the middle there. Shirley. Uh, Don't call me Shirley. (laughs) Shirley, you can't be serious. Marks. This next one, uh, marks on the walls of the Hitchens home, allegedly made by Donald. Some early ones there. Next one is that message reading, Shirley, I come. Supposedly written, you know, March 22nd, 1956. Next one, Shirley, age 15, not long after the press got wind of this alleged haunting. So cute. Yeah. Next one, uh, Shirley's mother, Kitty, a uh, picture taken right outside 63 Wycliffe Road around the time of all this uh, para- poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. And then just last one, there's a picture taken from the uh, exorcism performed by Harry and Harold Chibbett. Huh. The one the police interrupted because they thought it was black magic, but then convinced it was uh, an actual exorcism. And then uh, then they found out later that it actually was illegal for them to yeah, perform blood. Isn't that I, weird? I know, well, I love the Congress person being like, you're going to apologize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What? That would, yep. that would never happen here. I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, I don't know what kind of laws are still in the books regarding this kind of stuff now, but there could be weird stuff still out there. Oh, it's just, I'm sure. It is interesting to me that not that long ago, people would actually, like the police would come to your home if they thought you were, you know, performing black magic. They don't come to my house anymore. They don't? Nope. There's a lot of black magic. You did a lot of black magic at our house? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how we got the spirit there. <laughs> do you have any questions on this story? No, I don't. I don't think that I do. Um, I was having a hard time not laughing at the beginning when you said uh, terrorist, their home, like a terrorist home. I was like a terrorist home. What is oh, that? Oh, yeah. Just a, yeah, yeah. Um, that was just my funny little side note. Okay. Uh, no, it, it's just a really weird story mm-hmm. i i think that if shirley wasn't alive right now i would probably lean into bs like maybe they did make it all up or maybe they mm, exaggerated a situation mm-hmm. but for her to be nearly 81 80. 82 yeah yeah exactly uh, 81 this year yeah it's like i don't know at that point you would think that she would say, all right all right you got, got me right right <laughs> and i mean I don't know. That's a long time to live with that kind mm-hmm. of lie if if you're lying. Yeah. yeah. And she claims she's not. So mm-hmm. and, had, and never went never went on to make more claims, uh similar claims, you know? Right, right, right. And this is the first I'm hearing of it. So I mean, popular, you know, infamous story then. There. Yeah. Yeah, there and then. But mm-hmm. like it doesn't seem like it's, you know, like that big of a deal. I know you said it had a little resurgence, but Yeah, like some other podcasts have talked about it, you know, in different from different angles and it's gotten like more press, like the Daily Mail, just, you know, doing, you know, follow up interviews. I don't know. I, th- I 
I'm trying to remember now from when I was looking at this stuff, there might be a possible movie in the works. I can't remember for sure, though. Right. Well, if that is possibly happening, it would be a very bad time for Shirley to say, JK. <laughs> True. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it certainly has pieces and parts of it that I think, oh, that's really creepy. Like, if I saw slippers shuffling across the floor mm-hmm. with no feet in them, mm-hmm. that would... I know, that was a, that little detail was my favorite horror detail of the story, <laughs> of just, like, um, slippers with no feet in them, just, uh, you know, pantomiming, walking across the floor. That would be so, so uncomfortable to see. Yep, yep. So things like that, you know, did me in, but but 4,000 letters, that is such a huge number that I'm like, did, mm, did he write all of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And there can always be that in these cases, too, where it's like a few things happen, mm-hmm. and then maybe the activity gets quiet, but the but the press is now interested, and you do like the attention, and so then you embellish what underneath is a real story, but you right. add a lot of not real details. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. A little fact, a little fiction. Ready to leave the often chilly and dreary weather of London for the normally warm and sunny weather uh, of a beach in Brazil? I would love warm, sunny beach. Mm-hmm. Before we explore the lore of Dream Beach, first, a sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. 
I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for continuing to listen to our sponsored sponsor deals. Creeps and Peepers, hope you heard some that appealed to you. All right, this story is a bit of a bit of a slow burner. I hope you like it as much as I do. I really like the uh, the the way it ends. It's interesting. Uh, Dream Beach is a beautiful and sunny strand of coastline located in Sao Paulo. Travel websites feature an abundance of loaded with amenities, oceanfront hotels, comfy beachside Airbnbs. A deeper web search reveals that the beach's history isn't all sunshine and happy vacation memories. Many years ago, according to Dream Beach lore, some young unnamed couple died on Dream Beach. One night, they decided to go stargazing. On the uh, stargazing, they laid down under a, or upon a large rock, rising just above the water, holding hands, likely dreaming about their future. Then, out of nowhere, a large and powerful sneaker wave hit them, knocking them off the rock and into the dark, turbulent water. The receding water then formed a rip current, quickly pulled them far from shore. The young lovers were soon lost to sea. No one knows how long they're able to stay on the surface, fighting for their lives out in the dark, too far from shore for anyone to hear their cries to be saved. Strongly assumed that at some point, they were able to fight no longer, both slipping beneath the surface, never to take another breath. Their bodies would never be found, but they would be seen again. Not long after the couple's tragic deaths, beachgoers began seeing the figures of two people walking along the beach. Others have seen them walking out of the deep water back onto the shore. Most disturbingly, some have claimed to see these two figures present themselves as decaying corpses, faces and bodies full of rotting, decomposing flesh, walking along the beach, romantically holding hands along the water's edge, as if they were just like any other living couple. Beach maintenance workers have reported countless sightings. They've also reported hearing loud shrieks from out in the water at night, as if someone's calling for help, searching with their flashlights, sometimes even heading out into the water. They've never found anyone. Time now for the tale of stargazing with the dead. Carmen wasn't having a good time on this family vacation. What was supposed to be a relaxing beach getaway, it turned into the trip from hell, full of family drama, arguments, and plenty of other problems. Carmen's parents were fighting constantly. When they weren't shouting insults at each other, they turned their negative attention to the children, Carmen, her sister Anna, and her brother Leo, criticizing them over the smallest things, finding various ways to start stupid arguments. Carmen and her siblings all soon tried to avoid their parents and go on excursions without them whenever possible. But that was proving difficult since the weather hadn't been cooperating. It had rained every day they'd been there. They were staying in an oceanfront resort but couldn't enjoy all the natural beauty around them. The whole family had also suffered about a food poisoning from something in the buffet, further confining them to their rooms. To top it all off, their reservations for ziplining through the forest a rare afternoon when the weather was actually okay had gotten canceled for unspecified reasons. Carmen tried to entertain herself by exploring all the rooms of the resort. But because of the rain, she'd been confined mostly to the indoor pool and recreation areas. And she'd been getting bored. Carmen had started secretly uh, spending some time with one of the resort staff, Lucas, (laughs) a cute lifeguard at the indoor pool. On her first day at the resort, they'd locked eyes from across the room. Carmen had blushed, looked away, moved to the farthest chair in the corner, hiding from his gaze. But he found her anyway. He came up to her on his break, struck up a conversation. And she was glad he did. Carmen now had the biggest crush she'd ever had in her life. 
Unfortunately, she was also leaving the country in a few days. She hadn't told anyone about her secret fling with Lucas. Her parents would be furious. Leo would go out of his way to embarrass her in front of him. And Anna couldn't keep a secret to save her life. She had to find ways to ditch her siblings so she could meet Lucas at hidden places around the resort. She felt like she was living out some kind of romance novel. Only this one would not have a happy ending. She tried not to think about that. Lucas invited Carmen to walk on the beach on one of her last nights. Dream Beach. The weather had finally cleared up. The day was sunny, hot, and humid. After sunset, it cooled off slightly, and a small breeze brought some relief. Carmen had to find a way to sneak away from her family after dinner. She was supposed to meet Lucas around 9.30 by the back of the resort. She found the perfect cover story. The resort was offering a free bowling tournament for teens, and Carmen said she'd met some nice girls at the pool who invited her to play. She didn't mention any boys, or she would be forbidden from going. Luckily, her parents, still caught up in whatever they were arguing about, bought it. Carmen got ready in her room, still under the guise of going bowling with some new girlfriends, and slipped away, her family none the wiser. She met Lucas at the back of the resort near the kitchen service area. He flashed a smile that made her stomach tingle, held out his hand, and together they made their way to the beach. Carmen left her sandals behind, wanting to enjoy the feeling of the sand on her feet for the first time in days. They walked along the shore, admiring the stars, talking about what they'd done all day, both just waiting for the moment when they could start making out and get lost in each other's kisses. You said this place was called Dream Beach? Where does that name come from? Carmen asked. Lucas paused, thinking about his answer. I'm not sure. It's just always been called that. Some say it's because dreamers come here to think. Others say it's because all your dreams come true if you wish them here on the beach. Carmen thought about that for a long time, wondering if it was true, if there really was a place on earth where all wishes could come true if you just thought hard enough. Lucas suggested they head towards large rocks, or some large rocks protruding from the sand, overlooking the water. Carmen agreed, anything to lengthen the time they could spend together. Soon they lay together on a large rock, surrounded by water. The sounds of the waves relaxed her, making her feel sleepy despite the relatively early hour. Carmen and Lucas looked at the stars together in silence. She began to feel as if she were somewhere between awake and sleep, hovering just at the edge of unawareness. She felt Lucas's hand brush her own and intertwined her fingers in his. The stars are so beautiful tonight, she said quietly. My mother tells us they're the souls of the dead looking down on us. Carmen laughed. I hope not. I wouldn't want my grandparents' souls knowing everything I do. <laughs> I suppose you wouldn't want them to see this, Lucas said. Before she could say anything, he leaned over and kissed her, and she kissed him back. Carmen was elated, but also heartbroken. He was one of the most special people she'd ever met, and she might not ever see him again. She pulled away and told him, my family's leaving in two days. She couldn't bear to look at him when she said it. I knew you couldn't stay long, he said slowly. Vacations end. Do you think we'll ever see each other again? Carmen asked. Maybe if we wish it, Lucas responded softly. Together, they both looked up at the stars, each making their own secret wishes. Carmen wished that somehow she could come back to this place and see Lucas again. She hoped that he wished the same. What did you wish for, Lucas? She couldn't help asking. Carmen reached for his hand once again, and instantly, she was repulsed. His skin, normally rough and warm, was now cold, damp, leathery feeling. She turned to look at him, and she gasped, her heart dropping into her stomach. She jerked her hand away. Laying next to her on the rock was the decomposing corpse of a man. His skin had an odd grayish hue to it, sagging and wrinkled, missing in places. His skull was covered by wisps of hair, his dead eyes wide open, staring into nothing, bloodshot burst capillaries surrounding yellowed irises. Parts of him were missing, gaping, rotten holes that disgusted her to look at. L Lucas, she called, where are you? 
She watched in horror as the corpse's eyes widened in response to her voice, as if it could hear her. Carmen froze in terror as its mouth opened and closed. It let out a horrible groaning sound, as if trying to answer her, but unable to speak. Then his hand shot out, grabbing onto her with a force impossible for the dead. Carmen screamed, scrambled backwards without looking to where she was going. Instead of moving towards the gently sloping back end of the rock, which would get her onto the sand, Carmen fell head first off the side into the surprisingly deep water oh, below. shit. She gasped on her way down, her mouth filled with water. She coughed and tried her hardest not to breathe in to avoid filling her lungs with more water. Instinct kicked in. Carmen frantically kicked towards the surface as hard as she could, lungs burning, muscles weakening, head aching. She must have hit it on the way down. Her head broke the water and she gasped for air. Lucas! She crawled in a, called in a hoarse voice. Carmen now tried to swim towards the shore, but a wave hit her in the face, sent her back under the water. Panic set in, but the wave passed and Carmen once again made her way to the surface. She tried swimming towards the shore. The rock she'd fallen off was farther away now, which meant she was getting pulled deeper into the water. This was bad. Help! Lucas! She screamed, but her voice just wouldn't carry. Her throat was burning from swallowing salt water. Her muscles ached, her head pounded, she could feel blood dripping into her eyes, the salty water stinging the cut she knew was on her head. Karma was feeling weaker and weaker by the second. The beach seemed further and further away. The harder she tried to swim towards shore, the more the rock became smaller and smaller, a speck in the distance. Carmen could now barely keep her head above the water. She was so tired, in so much pain, she just wanted to give up now. She knew that she was probably going to die, so what was the point of fighting anymore? She was so totally exhausted, she didn't even seem to care that she was dying. Now she could feel herself losing consciousness. Just before darkness overtook her vision, Carmen thought of wishes and dreams. And she made one last wish for herself before she slipped into unconsciousness. I want to go home. The next thing Carmen remembered was waking up in an ambulance. She could hear the siren wailing loudly. Bright lights above her burned her eyes. Multiple sets of hands touched her body, poking at the cut on her head, inserting things into her arm. Loud, urgent voices spoke above her in a language she didn't know. Panicked, Carmen tried to move her head, but something was around her neck, restricting her. She locked eyes with a man sitting in the car with her. Lucas. He looked haunted. He was shaking, hands fidgeting in his lap, biting his lip, eyes hollow and distant. He said he saw Carmen looking at him. The relief on his face was palpable. Carmen, he said, reaching out a hand. Everything's okay. We're on our way to the hospital. I used your face to unlock your phone so I could call your parents. They're on the way. What? She couldn't form the sentence. Her voice was weak, almost as if she were choking. The croaky sound of her voice triggered a memory. A cold hand. A dead face. Carmen blinked, hoping to force the memories out of her brain. She was at the hospital a minute later, whisked into a room to await a doctor. After vomiting what felt like gallons of water up, x-rays, a concussion exam, stitches, and IVs, she was finally left to rest. Now the worrying from her parents started. They were furious that she'd snuck off. And they let Lucas know just how displeased they were with him, too. They even threatened legal action. Carmen tried her best to croak out that it was her idea. She'd fallen off the rock on accident, but she had trouble getting her message across. It's probably well after midnight by now. Exhaustion had set in for both her and her parents. Carmen was in a shared room with three other people, a curtain, her only form of privacy. There was only one chair next to her for a guest to set in. An older, kind nurse assured her parents that she was in good hands and encouraged them to get some sleep at the resort. Lucas squeezed her hand before leaving behind, leaving her behind with her parents. Carmen was surprised when he came back a few minutes later, though, warily looking for any wandering parents or nurses. I have to tell you something. He whispered. Lucas, she said, barely above a whisper. What happened? The effort of speaking burned her throat. He sighed. 
that's just it. I don't know. It happened after we talked about making a wish. You fell asleep. You looked so peaceful just lying there. So I didn't want to wake you up. But a few minutes later, you did wake up and you just looked at me strangely. You were so scared like you didn't recognize me. I said your name. I tried to touch your hand and you backed away, startled, and you fell off the rock. I jumped in after you. You were already so far away, but I found you. You almost didn't make it, Carmen. If I'd waited a second longer, you'd have been out of my reach. You were so tired that you were slipping under and you had this horrible cut on your head. His voice broke off. He was too upset to continue. Carmen racked her brain trying to remember everything. It was slowly starting to come back to her. She remembered making the wish, but she didn't remember falling asleep. Perhaps when she woke up, she was still dreaming, like sleepwalking somehow. And then she only woke up when she fell into the water. Carmen had a sleepwalking episode before, but never one that felt so real, so disturbing. The man's corpse flashed in her mind over and over. She could still feel his cold, wet hand. And her last wish about wanting to go home, as soon as she'd made it, she was safe on her way to the hospital. Was that a coincidence? The thought was crazy, but Carmen started to believe that maybe Dream Beach was magical after all. She never told anyone what she saw, not even Lucas. They wouldn't believe her anyway, probably blame it on her head injury. Carmen returned home, but she couldn't leave the memories of the dead man back on the beach. She questioned herself constantly. Was it real? Was she dreaming? Did the beach do something to her mind? She truly doesn't know. Now Carmen has a new wish. To forget what she saw on Dream Beach. Yee. Yeah, I like that uh, interesting overlay situation there at the end. Like how they were living essentially for a, a few moments in different worlds, but like together, but mm-hmm. separate. Yep. That he's there, she's there, but she has not seen him. She's seen something else where he is mimicking what he's doing. Uh, it's like a weird kind of like reverse doppelganger sort of thing where it's like you see something mm. else that doesn't look like your person, but also like, you know, it would be like waking up in bed, snuggled up together and you know, it should be me. But, it's, but it presents itself as some completely different appearance. But but my reality is that we're still right there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm that, freaking out. You don't so know why I'm weird. freaking out. Yeah. You're not on drugs. <laughs> right, right. So. Yee. Ooh. A couple quick picks. Okay. Not much on this one. Uh, the first one is Sao Paulo's just Dream Beach. Just yep. a picture of it. Pretty. From, this is like from some uh, Airbnb, just like one of the pictures the somebody there took. Mm-hmm. Here's a better picture of Dream Beach. Just uh, It does look magical. I, I will say that. I mean, the beaches in wow. Brazil are... Something else. Something else. But is it, when we, I mean, it was just so dangerous when I was there. Yeah. I don't know what it's like now. Probably the same because the world is in such a mm-hmm. particular uncomfortable state of existence. And then this last one, the ocean at night. So beautiful. Uh, oh, also, so, so, so scary. I know. Would not want to be out in that dark water. No. It scares the shit out of me. I, I do like being um, on the beach at night. But but um but pretty far back. I know because that breaker wave thing freaks me out. And then of course, like looking at the story, I got pulled into like random YouTube videos of like breaker waves. Yeah, sneaker waves. Sneaker waves. Thank you, sneaker waves. Uh huh. And they are terrifying. Well, now in your research or yeah. your rabbit hole that you went down, did you by chance come across that new article? I I only saw the headline. I didn't dig into it about they're they're figuring out why those waves happen and that they're oh, actually no. not, you know sneaker like that there's a way to know when they're coming oh no huh? Mm, it was just some set some headline that i saw and then i popped open the article i might have flagged it i'll look but it's something about like 100 foot wave like surprise but not surprise or something and i was like oh, hmm. sneaker waves yeah 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 I, I i was watching this video what was it where was it newport oregon i can't remember the exact or i can't remember the exact name of the town in oregon excuse me no worries but, but it was um I mean, you could tell they were used to bigger waves at this beach because they had like a, 
a little rock, like a, like they piled up rocks um, kind of at the edge of the beach that would be like kind of break the waves. Oh, okay, okay. So the waves would slam it in like, like a little, um, what do they call that, a, a ocean wall? or Breaker. Um, it's a breaker. Is it a, is it a breaker? Yeah, out past the breaker. Like they, they oh. stack up the, the logs and the yeah. rocks. Yeah, it's called a breaker. Okay, cool. Joe, at least I didn't scream, but I did jump <laughs> quite. Like the uh, Everclear song. Oh, out past the breaker. Yeah, that's what the breaker. That is. Santa Monica song. Yeah. Jump out past yeah. the breaker. Oh, very cool. Um, okay, well, so, so they had like a decent one of those, mm-hmm. and you can tell like just based on the water behind it that water rarely got back there. Yeah. And then I don't know. This guy just happened to be filming when he's out with his dog and there's some other people, but he's like, you know, looking out there in the distance. And all of a sudden, you see this wave much bigger than the other waves coming towards the beach. Oh man. I mean, luckily it wasn't like tsunami kind of, you know, wave where it's just going to, there's nothing you can do. Right. But it was still, you know, pretty big. And then he kind of scrambles to a little uh, point of like high ground mm-hmm. to look. And that thing just smashed over the top of that breaker and, and went, you know, pretty far up into, you know, like, I don't know, just where people would walk and hang mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. on the sand. And then, and then that big like rip current, just like pulling all the water back out. And it was moving when it was heading back out to the ocean. It's yeah. like, that's just so crazy. You could be walking along the beach and then bam, that thing just comes out of nowhere and then just sucks you out to sea. He had no, it's over. Woo! And just listening to her version of the events that happened, talking about just like being out there and just yeah. kept, I, I, I was like, what are you supposed to do in that situation? There is something, and I didn't look into this time, but like, I think it's, God, there is like, you can find little tutorials mm-hmm. uh, to show you what to do. But I want to say initially, you're, you don't fight it. Like you kind of like go with it because uh-huh. you're just going to like exhaust yourself mm-hmm. fighting against the current. And there is some way to get out of that current. I, I can't remember it. If it's going to the side, like that's, farther down the beach. That's what I but, was wondering. But, it's but like you don't head straight back in. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I think you have to swim out and Ugh. over and back in. But in yeah. those dark waters. I remember all the emails we got. You do? Yeah. You swim like diagonally with, like, with it. So you don't go straight out because then that's too, you're going to get ripped way out to the sea. So you swim diagonal kind of against it, but kind oh. of with it. Mm-hmm. And then once you're out of it, you turn around and come back in. Oh, you swim diagonal further out. Yes. You do not try to fight it. You go back out. And there's a great, uh, <laughs> there's some diagrams to show it. It's like a river that's right. in the ocean. So yeah. don't swim against the current, mm-hmm. but don't swim completely with the current. Mm-hmm. Or else it's going to push you way too far out. Yeah, because it's not like crazy, crazy wide. It's not like the whole ocean is moving away from the beach like that. Right, no, right, yeah, right. You just, you just swim like diagonal against it. God, I hope I never have to do it. I hate the thought of that so much, especially at night. I know. And, and Newport, Oregon has a sweet skate park. Just in case anyone cares. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I remember that. Funny. I mean, I think if your fight or flight kicks in, you just, you yeah. do it. You just do it. True, true. You try to stay Oof. calm, but, but also, we're, we're the kind of people who are nervous, so we're not going to be putting ourselves no, in a situation I'm a baby where- when it comes to the ocean. Yeah, but that's okay. Water is so powerful. So, mm-hmm. so, so powerful. A lake, an ocean, a river. I mean, just just in general, you just yeah. have to be careful. People don't give water like enough respect, for a lack of better terms, that like it will destroy you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. La, 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 la. Well, she lived- Mm-hmm. True. Oh, so that's I, good. Yeah, and like, cool that Lucas came back to talk to her about like, I don't know what happened because if not, then mm-hmm. you're like, what happened? I know. I I, I like that story where it, the twist at the end to me. I I expected it to be going in a direction where I thought Lucas wasn't real. 
Because I was oh. I, because I was like, does anybody else? Nobody else in her family knows about Lucas. Not even her siblings. So I thought like. You know, when it was all said and done, there was there was no lifeguard at that indoor pool. There I was see. no, and so when he showed back up, I was like, you know, the first time I was going through, I was like, wait, what? Okay. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Also, when you were reading your story, did you happen to hear a whistle in your ear? No, I didn't hear a whistle. Okay, well, I heard a whistle, so I was like, what is that? <laughs> I was so distracted during that story with I kept seeing a spider crawling on you, and then he like he just went up and around. Yeah, I think he's in your Do you hair. Think he's in there now. <laughs> cleavage hey buddy no i think he i think he just kind of like camped out in your hair somewhere oh okay no, it doesn't work at all <laughs> no i'm liar <laughs> you haven't tried to fool me in quite some no, time that wasn't a very hard sell no no it wasn't and then lastly my question was do we have any other stories of haunted beaches uh nothing's jumping out at me right now i mean i think that we've like had stories lakes. we've been we've been in water before mm -hmm. we've been in some lakes this lake in georgia um lake in nevada uh, I think at least one more, but I don't think Remember? we've been, we've had a haunted lighthouse. Did, did you guys watch Old? Yes, guys, yes, I did. Oh, the Shyamalan. You watched it without me. Yes, mm -hmm. but that was. I mean, I mean, not that good, but pretty good. It was pretty good for, for the concept. There's only yeah. so much you could do with that concept. <laughs> exactly. It got destroyed. Exactly. But it was a haunted beach. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And people did not like that movie. Woo! He gets a lot of flack, yeah. I mean, because a lot of his movies are hinged on like one big twist. Yeah. And um, yeah, either like you know, uh, yeah, they go with it or you it don't, or, or you don't. Yeah, but I, I thought it was yeah, like Joe's saying. I mean, not my like, oh my god, this is one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. But I thought they like Joe said did well for what the premise was. I didn't watch it because you watched it without me, and I'm never gonna watch anything scary alone. It's hard enough to get me to watch it with you. Mm -hmm. No way. I'm watching it by myself. Sometimes I can't even yeah. watch like a like a suspense show by myself. I'm turning into quite the little pansy. Is oh that, man, am I allowed to say that word? <laughs> I think so. I don't, I don't, who so. knows? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm talking about myself, so whatever. Uh, okay, you got your squishy on hand. I do. Okay, we are going to a nunnery, kind of mm, convent. Convent is that another word for nunnery? I think. Yeah, convent. Yeah, yeah. but not a conv. You said. Convent? Convent. Convent. C-O-N-V-E-N-T? Yeah. Okay, yeah. just different pronunciations. Um, you know, I, I was raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. or I had a nun. One of my aunts was a nun. Like, nun principal, blah, blah. Have you ever heard or, or met anybody who, like, went to private school or whatever, like, super involved in their church, who met a nun who got pregnant? Hmm, I no. mean, I know it would be taboo, I mean, I mean, but I know, I know it would be I know gossip, it happens. I know it like, happens. I mean, I, I mean, those oaths, you know, they, people sure. break them. People are human. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, in all of my Catholic upbringing, never once ever even heard like a story like, oh yeah, that's, that's Sister Beth and she just got back. Like there was never mm. any of that. This story is, uh, takes place at St. Anne's Retreat and it was specifically a place where they shipped off pregnant nuns to have their babies in private, in secrecy, and then, you know, give the babies up for adoption and send mm -hmm. the nuns back to the nunnery, the convent. But how many, how many of the fathers do you think were priests? Uh, the vast majority. <laughs> right, right. I mean, where else are they finding willing men? It's not like they're going out on bumble dates. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, I that's who you have access to mm -hmm. on, a, on a regular basis. Yeah, because yeah. the likelihood of a one and done and getting pregnant, not, I don't, I, I don't know the numbers 
like, you know, scientifically no. to prove this, but yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure that the stats are quite low on who gets pregnant the very first time they sleep with someone. So it would have to be someone that you were seeing, mm-hmm. I would think, consistently. And mm-hmm. outside of a priest or like, I don't know, maybe like a delivery guy, like bringing, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Do you, right? Because I'm just yeah. trying to think what like, what, accessing? yeah, what do you need? And then like uh, convents weren't, at least in my experience, weren't open to the public. So it wasn't like it could just be some random passerby. Mm-hmm. You had to be invited and there were only certain days that we could go, certain hours. It was very restricted. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just my experience or if that's how it is in general. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so St. Anne's Retreat, where they would take the nuns to have the babies and then deal with the aftermath of it. But one time, one nun was like, I don't want to leave. And shit went sideways. Okay. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. I love this story. Hello, Captain Creep and Princess Peep. (laughs) My name is also Dan, and I'm also from Idaho. Yay. I also have an Aussie doodle, Albus. Albus. What a cute name, huh? Mm -hmm. I was introduced to Time Suck a few years ago and got hooked. Then I started listening to Scared to Death a couple months ago, and I'm obsessed. I drive to Boise every other week from Logan, Utah to pick up my daughter, and your podcast makes that drive not only bearable, but something I look forward to. So thank you so, so much. Before I get started, I need to tell Dan to shut the fuck up about how awesome Idaho is. Ah, too late. Secret's out. I know. Even though I live in Utah and it's incredibly close, uh, and yet so far, this part of the country has been a lovely little secret, and I don't need Dan fucking (laughs) that up for all of us. If you want to talk about Idaho, talk about the southwest part of Idaho, where it's Mm. a barren wasteland. True. (laughs) And now on to my story. (laughs) I just thought it was silly. I have always believed in ghosts or spirits. However... All my encounters before this story were good spiritual experiences from the other side. I have hesitated to tell this story because I've done so much to forget about it. However, I love horror, and every time I listen to this podcast, this memory comes up. I figured it would be a ther- it would be therapeutic to share with you guys, and if you share it as well, then great. If not, it just feels good to write it down. Well, here we go. Mm-hmm. I was scrolling my Facebook, trying to pass time at work. I came across a post from my cousin, Rachel. She posted a picture with her and the host of the Ghost Adventures crew, Zach Bagans. (laughs) I have always been a massive fan of that show for several reasons. Occasionally, they catch some super spooky stuff, but most of the time, I watch it in an unhealthy habit of wondering how these guys have their own show on the Travel Channel while I work 60 hours a week and can barely afford my mortgage. I still don't get it, but my therapist says I need to move on. (laughs) Anyways, I asked my cousin where they were filming. She said she couldn't talk about it, but she texted me and said that they would be filming at the nunnery. The nunnery, or St. Anne's Retreat, was a series of cabins located in Logan Canyon. The Catholic churches used it as a hiding place for nuns who broke their vows of celibacy. Pregnant nuns would get shipped up to St. Anne's Retreat, where they would have their baby, recover, and then be shipped back to their assignments. The babies were then placed for adoption. According to local lore, one nun didn't want to give up her baby. After giving birth, she hatched a plan to escape the nunnery with her baby and start a new life as a single mother. There was just one problem. The head nun was a terrifying, authoritarian figure who did not allow for insubordination. She was not only strict, she was cruel. Finally, after she recovered from giving birth, the young nun took her baby and her things and began to sneak out in the middle of the night. It wasn't long before she heard the shouting of the head nun directing her staff to search the woods for the missing nun and her baby. Frightened beyond belief, the young nun decided to leave her baby wrapped up in a blanket under a bush and she ran off in a different direction to cause a distraction. And the distraction worked. 
she heard the search party change directions and head towards the noise that the young mother was making. Thinking she had outsmarted them, she circled back for her baby, but when she did, she found nothing. Her instincts told her that the head nun had figured out her plan and had found the baby. Having no regard for tree branches cutting into her body, she sprinted back to the nunnery. The retreat included a small outdoor pool for the nuns to swim and exercise in during their pregnancies, and that is where she found the head nun. The head nun was carrying an empty blanket, and behind her, floating face down, motionless in the pool, was the young nun's child. The head nun punished her by drowning the infant child. Lore has two different endings. I heard that the young nun was so distraught that she hanged herself from a tree outside her cabin the following day. I have also read that she immediately ate some poisonous berries that she knew were nearby. St. Anne's Retreat was closed down and sold to private owners, and legend says that the young mother-slash-nun and the head nun haunt those grounds. Knowing the local lore, I hatched this most excellent plan to sneak up on the Ghost Adventures crew to try and spook them and see if I could make (laughs) it on TV. I knew I... (laughs) I knew several back trails to the nunnery, so I thought it would be rather easy. Luckily, I had two friends who also thought this was a good idea, Trent and Eli. We weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. We snuck around through another canyon to access a trail that would connect us to St. Anne's Retreat. When we got there, there was no one there. They must have already finished filming, and we missed our opportunity. Well, we're already here. Should we check it out? Asked Trent. Why not? I replied. Man, I wish I would have just said, fuck it, let's go home. We crept into the courtyard of the main cabin, and immediately the temperature was significantly colder. Not only colder, but the air around me was thick, almost tangible. Something prompted me to go near the pool. I approached the edge of the pool, feeling heavy, cold air all around me. I looked across the pool, and what I saw stopped me in my tracks. There was a precise shape of a hooded figure. It didn't move. It just stood still, looking at me. I couldn't move. I tried to scream for Trent and Eli, but nothing. Her face looked like burnt paper, like cooking paper, but the wax was dripping off her face. And then all of a sudden, I felt something from behind me. And even though it never touched me, I found it hard to breathe. And the idea crept into my mind that I should jump into the pool. My friend Eli came out of one of the cabins, and as soon as he approached me, all of the darkness left, and we booked it out of there. Three months after this encounter, my dad, who now lives in a small town in Ohio called Cambridge, was out visiting my sister and I. My dad went to college at Utah State University, the local university where I live, and I was curious if he had ever heard the local lore of the nunnery. And so while at dinner, I asked him, Hey dad, have you ever heard of the nunnery or St. Anne's Retreat? He immediately stopped eating, his face went white, and he just looked at his plate for what felt like five minutes. He looked up at me slowly with what looked like a small tear in his eye and said, please don't tell me you went there. Seeing the horror on his face, I lied to him and said I had never been there, but I just told him that it was going to be on TV. Danny, please promise me you'll never go to that place, my dad stated with intent. I pressed him on why he was so adamant I not go there, but he said he would never speak of that place, and to this day, I have no idea what my dad experienced or why he looked scared to death when I mentioned it. I don't know what scared me more, seeing the entity at the nunnery or watching the blood drain from my father's face at the mention of that place. Love you guys, Danny. Thanks, Danny. Yeah. Weird, huh? What's going on over there? I don't My headphones are cutting in and out. Oh, okay. Did it change your cord? Um, but anyways... Yeek. Ugh. Very Handmaid's Tale. Very like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't even think of that, but yes. I was thinking about like poor June running through the woods 
Right. Uh, I don't want to give anything away in case people aren't caught up. But what a like. I hope that lore is not true. I mean, what a monster if true of just like that'll teach you. Like just kill a baby. I mean, <sighs> that's a monster. Just yeah, that, that's place. a living monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's as scary as any ghost. Yeah. And then of her spirits, I would say too, if you're having trouble, just pop one out so you can hear. I'm okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, but uh, I can't remember what I was going to say now. Uh, you were saying that if she was a, she would be a living monster and then, oh, that and then if the she spirit, haunted it. And then the spirit version of her, it's like, yeek. Mm-hmm. But I bet if there's a spirit version of the evil nun, I bet there's a spirit version of the young nun who tried to get away. I would, Yeah. I, I wish uh, the young nun, I wish part of the lore when, when there was like two options mm-hmm. and one was like, you know, she hanged herself the next day. I was hoping the second option was going to be that she killed the lady in charge. Oh yeah. The head nun. Mm-hmm. Drown her in the pool. Yeah. Or at least punch her, kick her really hard. So Smash her in the head with a rock. Like something. something. I know. What a creepy, creepy story. Yeah. And I guess if you want to look into it more, you could check out the ghost adventures episode so it sounds like that place is abandoned right i mean if you're yeah. able to just like sneak in there i mean i don't know I, I get the appeal if you're a ghost hunter that sounds like a good place to go well yeah and i bet some strange stuff went down there because any place that's religious in any capacity mm-hmm. i think you're just going to have a totally different energy than somewhere else you know yeah. so uh, a a church a convent the cloister Man, I can't imagine a place like that, like back in the history too, where it's like, you know, not to like, just like bag on the, the Catholic church, but you know, they were, especially previous to like the 1960s mm-hmm. before Vatican II, uh, especially strict. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, you there's been story after story, not just all the priest stuff, but it's like, but just like people going to schools and having somebody, you know, smash them in the knuckles, you know, just oh, like yeah. whippings, have- like, yeah, they're just like. Yeah, talk to my family about it. They all grew yeah. up in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, and they'll tell you, like, it was Pretty not- brutal. Yeah. And nuns specifically, you know, like, that don't have the best reputation. We're, like, just some hard ass. And, and so and so then if you're sent to that place, mm-hmm. ran by some lady who's, like, just getting a steady stream of women that she thinks are, you know, horrific, you know, uh, uh, sinners. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, uh, what do you call, like, tainted women? Or I don't know what the term would be back then or something know. like that for, uh, you know, women who had had sex out of wedlock kind of thing. Well, just, I mean— it would just be, uh, uh, you know, a violation of your vows and, you mm-hmm. know, you have no discipline and you can't, you know, keep your word to God and you're right. not a child of God if you do that. And what These you- women are sad when they get there, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're probably feeling shame just because of what they've been, you know, grow- brought up to believe. Right. And then somebody there is, yeah, I bet that person who's running that, like what kind of person runs that place? Aunt Lydia. Yeah. Aunt Lydia from the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Not somebody who's warm and fuzzy no. and a nurturer in all likelihood. I just think about how different it would be yeah. if it was someone who was warm and loving who was like listen I understand your commitment to your vows but hey mistakes happen everybody makes mistakes I understand that we're all human mm-hmm. and you ha- you know maybe I you understand ha- that these vows are really stupid and no one should ever do them <laughs> but for that for their faith <laughs> like if that's it's, yeah. not, it's not like people are forced to be a nun there's, no. oh there's I know not- they're not forced I just think like what are we doing Okay, but that's up to them to decide. Know, like you, you can sit in judgment of them just like they can sit in judgment oh, of you. And right? they do. Yeah. But yes. Some of them. Some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. not blanket statement. I just think like it's so unnatural. It's like, why do we have to have a why does any why does any religion have a vow of celibacy? It's like just let I don't know, but like, like but urges. who cares? Like that's up to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I it's just not something I would get worked up about. It's like, all right, I don't agree with it and it's mm-hmm. not natural and it's not like we're animals and that is mm-hmm. our sole purpose. I just feel in sad life. for him. But, I like, but again, it's their choice. Like, they're not being forced into being a nun. No, but a lot of pressure. From who? 
Mm, probably family, I would imagine. And just like, if you're not going to get married, uh, then that's your calling. I mean, maybe way back when, but like. Or if you're attracted to women, you know, then that's your calling. Again, I guess like maybe like yeah. back upon a time. I'm just thinking about like my own family. Yeah. Who, like we all like both my mom and my dad's side, everyone Catholic, 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 Roman Catholic, grew up going to Latin masses, like all of those things, have a nun in our family. Zero what? pressure for anybody to be but a I nun. Wonder, but I wonder how many of those nuns were gay. Because that was okay. a thing, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. it wasn't acceptable within the religion to pursue that. Sure. So then that's the, that's the, that's very common. That's, uh, historically, they think it's been very common. So, sure. And that's where I just feel bad. I just feel bad. Like right. you weren't allowed to be you, mm -hmm. you know, and then you have to live in this strange side world. In my, my, my opinion. Yeah. I, I guess because I just, yeah. I've never heard stories of women being forced to be nuns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see what I'm saying? I'm not talking about force. I'm talking about you choose it because of various social pressures because you're not comfortable to be able to be yourself. Okay, well, that's different because you just said you're forced to follow these rules. So I was a little confused. I know you got hung up on me saying force earlier. I kept trying to say social pressure after that. Yeah, it's okay. Just, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's just move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My goodness. You weren't having it. I just feel bad for someone in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was, what I was trying to get to mm -hmm. was that just think about how different it would be if there was somebody warm and loving and nurturing who could say like, you know, I get it. You're human. You're flawed. We all are. You've made a mistake, but yeah. but you have stated that you also want to continue your work as a nun. So, you know, like, let's make this experience of giving birth as comfortable yeah. as possible. And, you know, hopefully, you know be a part of that adoption process, whether it's like mm -hmm. an open adoption mm -hmm. or just, I don't know how giving up your baby works, but I don't know if you can have any say so into like what, where they go. Like, you know, if they're going to go to an orphanage, can you kind of say like, well, I want them to be here or there. Yeah. You know, you just hope that somebody can give them some sort of peace and solace. But that person's not. No, not, that, no. Oh. especially because it's hidden. Well, right, know, it's right. Like so that's um, the, for the haunting part. Head on part. out to Shame Canyon. Right. So for the haunting mm -hmm. part of it, I guess is where I was really trying to like connect it back. It's like, of course, St. Anne's Retreat is going to be an awesome place for mm -hmm. heavy energy because of all of the discourse that was there and people that didn't want to be there that, or people that wanted to take their babies and go, people that died during childbirth and then put the religious aspect on top of it where it's just yeah. like a whole other set of energy. That place is probably haunted as fuck. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. All right. Well, are you ready to hear about some actual black magic? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. So you talked about black magic in one of your stories. Mm -hmm. The right? curse. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, we had like that witch, that witchy story a couple weeks ago uh, in San Francisco. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, that was, yeah, that was the, that was the curse one. Right. And then, but just today you were talking about black magic, how they tried to. Force the oh in I'm Battersea like, the Battersea poltergeist. Yeah, I was like, wait, am I sorry, crazy? Sorry, was sorry. that twenty minutes ago or not? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. the Battersea poltergeist, where they were accused yeah. of black magic. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes, yes. Just, I get you now. Just a funny tie-in. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so this story, I'm so I can't believe our show reaches Nigeria. Oh yeah. I mean, how cool is that? It's so cool. And like somebody told this guy about it. So mm -hmm. at least two people in Nigeria are listening. <laughs> so thank you. All right, let's uh, dig into this bizarre curse. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. My name's George. I'm a huge fan from Nigeria. I was introduced to Scared to Death by a friend last August and have never missed an episode since. I decided to share my own story as well. I know this doesn't sound believable, but it happened in our family many years back. I have five siblings now as I lost one, which is why I have a story to tell. My dad is a skeptic and only believes in the facts. He didn't play a role in this story, which is important to know. He has always shown less concern than perhaps he should in serious situations. Without wasting more time already, let's dive in. As Dan would always say, 
Time now for the tale of <laughs> I Don't Want to Go. My older sister, 17 at the time, was a very jovial and full of, was very jovial and full of life until one day she got into an argument with a man from town. I really can't make out the cause of the argument. I don't want to ask my mom as I don't want to fan old flames. All I can say is that it wasn't her fault. He was so angry for no real reason at all. And he said to her, you'll pay for this. And pay for it she did as our lives changed forever after this argument. The man was not to be messed with. He was a practice, he was, he practiced voodoo and had all sorts of demonic carvings around his house. Everyone in town was scared of him. No one got close to him. He had no wife, no kids, no dogs or cats. He was all by himself. My sister came home that day telling my mom that she had gotten into an argument with that man. My mom scolded her so well for not, for not ignoring him, despite knowing what he does for a living. I guess it was too late already as things quickly grew very uncomfortable. Things started disappearing and then reappearing, the lights flickering and sometimes the power going out while our neighbors still had power. My dad, who studied electrical engineering, couldn't ever figure out why these things were happening. Trays and plates started falling in the middle of the night for no reason at all. And this continued for about two weeks with and this continued for about two weeks before we started seeing a black cat around our house every night. This is widely considered as a bad omen in Nigeria. We saw the cat followed by a particular bird that also brings bad news, according to folklore. That same week, my sister was handing my mom her wristwatch when the glass cracked. It broke so badly you'd think that it had been smashed against a wall. Scared and terrified because we still had the argument in our minds, my mom told my sister to quickly get dressed. They both hurried down to the church where the pastor prayed for my sister and did some holy water cleansing. The very next day, my mom received a phone call from the pastor. He said that the same man my sister had an argument with had come over to his church and started a fight with him for praying over my sister. There was no way he could have known that my mom and sister had been to the church. He doesn't live nearby. How could he have ever seen them go to the church? About two weeks later, my sister fell sick. She was rushed to the hospital where she died two days later of an unknown cause. After she was buried, the sightings began. People started seeing her every day, once it was past midnight, wandering around as if she had lost something. Or they'd see her sitting alone, humming, or waving at something only she could see. The sightings continued like this for a month before she revealed herself to my family. My other sister, 21 at the time, was coming back from the market when she met a woman that claimed to have lost her way. She said it had been a long time since she last came to town and couldn't remember how to get where she was headed to since the routes had changed. My sister offered to take her where she was going since it was in the same direction she was already headed. They got on a bus and went to their stop. The bus station wasn't far from our house, maybe about a 15-minute walk. The lady's destination was shorter, only 10 minutes away. My sister and the lady kept conversing while they walked, but my sister was doing much more of the talking when suddenly she realized the lady wasn't responding anymore. She turned to see she was all alone and had been talking to herself the whole time. She wasted no time and ran as fast as she could, even losing her flip-flops as she ran home. She was visibly shaken when she made it home. She told us what had happened, and the next day, my mom went to another pastor, one out of town this time. As soon as my mom stepped into his office, he immediately said to her, your daughter loves you and she doesn't want to go. My mom burst into tears and he continued, wherever you go, she's always there with you. They then prayed for hours, worrying that whatever had been showing up in our lives was evil and not actually my sister. 
Regardless, they asked her to find her way and leave them and find peace and never come back. It's been over 12 years since we since we moved out of that apartment. Sightings were not reported and nothing paranormal has happened again in our new apartment. The man my sister got into an argument with died in 2019. Before his death, he confessed he confessed to killing people with black magic. I miss my loving sister, but I guess she finally found her peace. Sorry for taking so much time. Keep up the good work. <laughs> I love you both. Thank you. Weird. Man, yeah, that is weird. That is weird. That mm-hmm. uh yeah, the whole story. Yeah, just like a, a random argument. I mean, like whatever, like we bump into people or, you know, we have random outbursts or whatever about nothing at all. But then for this man to just curse her and then she dies a few days later, that is very uncomfortable. I wonder if there's any example in history of somebody just doing that like a, a crazy amount. Because let's say like you have oh, the okay. power to just like curse somebody and then they do die. Oh my God. It, seem, it seems like the odds are pretty good that eventually that power would fall on somebody who just throwing them around willy-nilly. Like what a crazy <laughs> story that would be if like oh my gosh. just well, killing dozens of people just like and you're dead and you're dead and you're dead. And there's nothing like, okay, if it was to happen in modern times. I'm sorry, I'm picture over with a new car and you get a new car and you get a new car. <laughs> And you're going to die. And you're going to die. And you're going to die. I think about it like in modern times, like right now, if that were to happen, Mm -hmm. you couldn't really prove anything. (laughs) No, no. Because I could say to you, that's it. You're dead to me. You're going to die. And then what? And then like what? You die? They can't. uh, Yeah. I can't. I can't actually be considered a serial killer. Well, there's there's certain countries that still do have laws about like witchcraft and things. Okay. You know, like on the books. And so if you're in one of those, yeah, I guess they could like you get in trouble or whatever. But like. In, in most Western, or maybe at this point, all Western nations, yeah. there is not those laws. So, no. like, if you were in, you know, the UK or the US or Canada or where, Australia. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, if you had that power, you could just, in broad daylight, not care how many witnesses are around, I curse you to death. I curse you to death. I don't know why I find this funny. And, <laughs> and it would be like this crazy loophole where technically no one could even arrest you. Right, because they can't even, you didn't do anything, not really. And if the power was that strong in you, which I'm not saying it was in this case, I mean, my mind just going to like cartoonish places now because if you just follow the logic, it's like, okay, if it was as simple as just you decide, you don't like somebody, you get angry and you're like, you're dead and then they're going to die soon. How could they even like hold you? You could just in the prison, you could be (laughs) (laughs) like on the way to the prison, you're like, and you're dead. And you're like, they would have to prevent you from speaking. They would just have to kill you to have it stop. Oh my God. (laughs) Because I wonder if, okay, if we're going to take it that far, yeah. do you even have to say it out loud or do they just have to think it? Oh, man, if you just have to think it, then you're a, super, bets are you're, you're a super villain. Oh, my gosh. You're part of the Marvel Universe or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, in, in the context of this story, it's just so weird that he cursed her. Then they see the black hat. Like, things that are, you know, akin mm-hmm. to their culture of, like, we take this very seriously. Yeah. The cat and then the bird with the bad news and then she dies. Yeah. And then, like... The, when the guy dies, he confesses mm-hmm. to, you know, placing these hoaxes and these curses on people. I don't know. Also sad that she lingered around because she didn't want to, like, leave. But also very smart of the family to not trust for sure that it was their sister mm-hmm. as opposed to something else trying to make its way yeah. to you. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. that's something we see so often, right? It appears to be <sighs> someone you know and love and miss that you want to see, but really it's just a facade. How insidious and just how upsetting that would be if like you lose someone who, you know, you care about so much <sighs> and then and then the image of that person returns and you're like so happy. Yeah. And then that image slowly starts to become like sinister. Ugh. And it's just a monster toying with you. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it creeps me out. 
It is very uncomfortable. I will say that. Sad and upset. Yeah, sad. Yeah. Yeah. So, so many not great things. True. Do you want to start uh, with our Annabelles today? Sure. I'll go first. Yeah. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Cassie Ebright. Embedding Rockers. Embedding Rockers. Embedding. E-M. Embedding. Hmm. Embedding Rockers. Katie Wood. (laughs) Lardman. Maybe that's the last name. Lardman, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe. Well, because it's spelled like Lardman. Mm-hmm. Lardman, gotta be a last name. Laura Supps, S.J. Crandall, Hepsida Jewel, Alexandra's Clan of Cats. <laughs> nice. Alexis Patrick, your boat, your Boise Bros. <laughs> Marissa de mm, de Gregorio, Margaret Bartlett, Cassandra Griffiths, Kelsey, Allie, and her daughter Kaylee, Sarah Baker. Liz Garcia Larson, mother of puppies. I like you. <laughs> I right. get it. Amanda Geffart, Julia, Alejandra Ramirez, Noel, Brooke, Jordan Hunter, the Reverend Dr. Costa Esquire. <laughs> Very nice. Vonda McDaniel, Dee Dubois, Tammy Harper, Margaret Mead, Nash Esman, and Nikki Baldwin. Thanks, all of you. Annabelle, and then the following Annabelles would like to thank uh, Nick Lockhart, Victoria Snortum, Caleb Peterson, J.D. Miller, Benjamin Cruz, Valerie Santos, Clover, Brianna Pereira, or uh, Perea, uh, Brianna Perea, uh, Amanda Kemp, Kesley S- Kelsey Smith, David Rhodes, Suchi or Suki uh, Despande, Mark King, Ashley Kirby, Raul Martinez Jr., <laughs> Twiddle diddles. <laughs> <laughs> Joe. Hmm. Joe Epper Jesse. Ara Johnson. Mindy Hudnall. Mackenzie Wood. Courtney J. Mars. Caitlin and Matt Clark. Amber Edelman. Maggie Stokes. Ashley Bowman. Jim Brooks. R. Brissette. Uh, DeShizzleburger. <laughs> Stoner Peeper. And Diane Martinez. It, it is a challenging place if you're a stoner peeper because mm-hmm. you're a little bit too high. It makes you a little bit anxious. And mm-hmm. if you're home alone, it can be real bad. Yeah. Speaking from no high. experience. <laughs> I have the following spoopy shout outs. Ugh, Felix is like my favorite name. So I just love this. Yeah, you do love name, Felix. I, I do. To Felix from Dalia. Happy birthday. I love you more than gummy bears. And we'll get through this together. Felix recently mm-hmm. lost his job due to some uh. health complications. Zachary, uh, to Zachary from Brittany, I love you, sweetum. I can't wait to marry you. To Kim B from Kim, happy birthday to one badass mama. To Jude from your dad, Jonathan, happy birthday. And to Carlos from Annie, happy seventh anniversary. Aww. Aww. And that is another show. Another one in the books. Uh, thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Is that where people do spoopy shout outs too? It is. All right. Uh, you can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say they go to my story? No, they go to info. Oh, info is where the spoops, spoopy shout outs go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. okay. Sorry. I was just like, man, we always get those. I'm like, how do people even know? How do they even know? Well, they just guess. They guess. <laughs> and they guess right. <laughs> Thanks to Logan Keith and Liz Hernandez for their work on social media. To Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing today. Uh, always making sure, uh, I feel like we can rely on uh, Joe to help us say Bagans correctly too. I, I mean, I think I always said it correctly. For me too. I'm just kidding. I've never said his name before on the show, have I? <laughs> I don't think so. 
Uh, thanks to Zach Cohen for custom sound bed. Cre- oh, Hello. sorry. Jesus Christ. That was an accident. <laughs> I, I had my finger on it in case you asked the question. Funny. And then I actually, okay, bye. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Bye, bye Joe. Joe. Jesus Christ. Ah. Uh, thanks to Zach Cohen for custom sound bed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number three. Which we'll have updates on soon. Oh, cool. Uh, thanks to producer Sarah Finch and Olivia Lee for finding the first story I told and to Olivia Lee for finding the second. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to hear and watch us. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content at Scared to Death Podcast, uh, plus pics that accompany the episode stories. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, that Liz Hernandez is moderating. Over 20,000 horror lovers in there. Woohoo! And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon. Get the entire catalog ad-free and more. And thanks for the continued ratings and reviews. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. Whether you're shopping for grads, getting an early gift for dad, or just looking for a little something new or used for your shelf, you'll find it at HPB. And you'll get almost everything for an extra 20% off during the big sale at Half Price Books this Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, May 25th through Monday, May 27th. Save big in-store at your local Half Price Books and at HPB.com. Offer cannot be combined with other coupons. Exclusions apply. To learn more, visit HPB.com. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.